Maybe you've been in this situation, it's uh, think maybe New Year, it's January 1, and you're like, this is the year. I'm going to finally dial in my diet. I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to get those six-pack abs. I'm going to finally eat how my doctor wants me to, bring down the blood pressure, whatever it may be. So you go off to the grocery store. You got your list. It's all around the edge of the grocery. You're getting your fruits, your veggies, all this good stuff, and you're, you're saying no to the fast food aisle and the candy aisle and the wine aisle and all these things and you get you're so proud of yourself and you get to the checkout line and you're standing there with all your good stuff and you're like this is the year it's gonna happen and you uh look at the uh magazine rack and you see like the fake fitness models with their 17 pack you're like yeah that's gonna be me next week it's gonna be awesome and then you look to the right and all of a sudden you're like oh (laughs) Reese's with potato chips Huh. No, no, no. Abs, abs. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be strong. And then, and then you look over again. You're like, huh. Pretzels in the Reese's. Salt and chocolate and peanut butter. Huh. No, 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 no. And strong. And, and you go home and you, you, you start unpacking the groceries. And all of a sudden, you, you're at the bottom of the bag. And your spouse, or your kids, or roommate. And they hold up an empty wrapper of potato chip filled uh, peanut butter cups, and they go, what's this? Like, I have no idea. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how that got there. That's never been me, ever, ever. Maybe you haven't found yourself in that situation, but I am almost positive. Everyone in this room and watching online, they've had that experience of trying to self-will, trying to practice self-control, and they were successful for a little bit, but then they gave in to temptation. Has anyone ever struggled with that ever? No, not you. I can't. Oh, see, one person raised their hand. They're the only truth teller. The rest of you are sinners and you're lying. No, we, we all struggle with temptation. We are in a series. We're wrapping it up this morning of fruition where we're looking at the fruit of the spirit. But before we dive into it, I want to, um, read this quote I found from a pastor and theologian who I kind of admire from afar. His name is Glenn Packiam. And he writes this about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruitfulness is not the same as productivity. Productivity is about what we're doing. Fruitfulness is about who we are becoming. That's why when Paul listed the fruits of the Spirit, he didn't mention achievements or accomplishments. He listed what might be called virtues. Productivity can be achieved by life hacks and time management tricks and techniques. But fruitfulness comes through abiding in Christ and participating in the Holy Spirit's work or forming the character of Christ in us. Over the last several weeks, as we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit, Pastor Martin and myself, we've been trying to make it very clear that these are not things you just do on your own. Be more loving. Be more kind. Try harder. Be more gentle. Be good. Be gooder. Practice more self-control. Stop it. Stop sinning. No, that is not what we're getting at. What we are getting at is that these are things that the Spirit, as we participate, as we abide with Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to grow these things in us slowly but surely for the sake of other people. And this week we are looking at self-control. Now our world has an interesting relationship with self-control. On one hand, we throw it out just 
whatever. Like, no self-control. You do you, boo. Like, if it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. Like, if it's so, it feels so good, how could it be so bad? Like, don't deny yourself. Treat yourself, right? That's kind of the world we live in. But on the other side, we worship people. We worship people that have excelled at self-discipline. Um, professional athletes, musicians, actors, people that have said no to everything to excel at one thing where they have mastered self-discipline in a way that you and I probably never will. So what is it? Is it treat yourself or deny yourself? The question I want us to wrestle through this morning, as followers of Jesus, can we actually become the kind of people where it's easier to say yes to God than it is to give in to temptation? Where it's more against our nature to turn to the, 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 the link on the website or give in to the gossip or whatever it may be and say yes to Jesus and remain faithful. For some of us, that may sound impossible, but, but according to Jesus' teaching and the, and the writings of the New Testament, I think it's actually God's desire for us. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew, and, and Jesus says these words. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. We need to understand what's happening here. This is, Jesus has been praying in the garden. This is the last couple hours of his life. Judas has betrayed him, and the guards are coming to seize him. Things are going really, really well. Peter's taking out a sword and cut off a guy's ear, and Peter, Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away, and just things are going great. Really good for Jesus. He's about to get arrested, but in this moment, we see Jesus practicing self-discipline. He could have gone, hey, Father, Legion of our angel armies, go, smite them. But he doesn't. He submits to the authorities that are about to arrest him and ultimately goes to the cross. But before this moment, Jesus was in the garden and he was praying and he was, he was uh, pouring his heart out to his father, pleading like, if there's any other way, God, than the cross, please let, show that to me. And what are his three disciples with him? What are they doing? <sighs> They've passed out cold. Now, a little sympathy for James, John, and Peter. They just—they just celebrated the Passover meal. Anyone done a real Passover meal before? You drink a lot of wine, seven cups. I have a Jewish friend back in Dallas. I'm like, are they like full cups? He's like, oh yeah. Like, no one's driving home after Passover. Like, it's, yeah, you're having a plenty good time. So imagine these men, they're, they're, uh, it's, it's late, it's after the Passover meal, and they're like in a cool garden, and they're sitting on the grass, and, and they just kind of nod off, and like, can we blame them? You know, I pro there's no way after seven glasses of wine, I'd be like, I, Jesus, watch and pray, I got you. I got you, Lord. No, I would have fallen asleep. So Jesus goes off and prays, and he comes back, and they're asleep. And does Jesus, what does he say to him? Like, oh, shh, I'm sorry. Do you want a pillow? Do you need a blanket? James, do you, you want a cup of warm milk? I'm sorry I woke you up. You go back to sleep. I'm going to go pray for you. 
I'm about to die for you, but I'm going to go pray for you. No, that is not Jesus' response to these men. This is what he says in Matthew 26. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? I don't know from the text Jesus' real tone, but I imagine there was some frustration, some hurt, some anger probably. And he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, say it with me, weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I wonder how Jesus meant that line. Because for me, I, I resonate with it. Like the spirit, my spirit is indeed willing. Like I desire to follow Jesus faithfully. I want to look more like Jesus at the time of my death than I do now. I want people to look at me and be like, he, he's representing someone greater than him. But my flesh is weak. I give in to temptation. I don't live up to my own standards at times. Because the reality is my deepest desires are not always my strongest desires. Back to this dumb little analogy. Like my deepest desire is to eat healthy, but like my stronger desire is to eat all the chocolate. My, my deepest desire is to be present with my family after a long day of work, but my stronger desire is to scroll through social media and vicariously live through people who aren't real that I will never meet. And I use this excuse, oh, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't believe Jesus was giving Peter an out here. So like, Peter, I know, it's okay. Like, you're just, you're a human. Like, I'm God, but you're human. So like, it's cool. Just keep being disobedient. Just don't do what I ask you to do. It's all good. I think in this moment, he's asking Peter, what kind of person do you want to be? Someone that gives in to the, your flesh and the way of the world or someone that relies and grows into what the Spirit is doing in him. And that's the question for us. Are we going to become the kind of people who are spirit-formed or flesh-formed? This entire series is based off of Galatians 5. And in that passage, Paul is saying there's two ways of living. One by the flesh, which leads to death. And one way of living by the Spirit, which leads to life. And he goes on to say that if you're baptized into Christ, like actually you're living into the Spirit, which is the way of life. But do we take a line like this, the Spirit indeed is willing and we focus, but the flesh is weak. No, 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 friends. The Spirit indeed is willing. But we give in to sin. We give in to the temptation. Paul, throughout his letters, often talks about practicing sinning. Think about that. Like, do you practice sinning? Sure we do. I say this next analogy, not, not to shame anyone or anything, but I think it's just something in the world we can kind of relate to. Like, I doubt most people, I've never met anyone that woke up on Monday morning and was like, you know what? Marriage is great, family's great, career is great. Let's just go blow it all up by having an affair. Like, let's just do that today. Now, on the outside, it may seem that way. I'm not trying to make light of it, but that most likely started months, 
years before with a thought, a picture, an unchecked relationship at the office, and it eventually gives birth to something that brings to death. James talks, James talks about this in his letter. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his, who? His own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Are we living into life or death? Are we using the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak as an excuse to keep on sinning? Are we living in to our own desires? So what was Jesus doing while his disciples were taking an unholy nap? He was praying. He was in the garden on his knees, pouring his heart out to his father. And these are his prayers that Matthew records. First one, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, read this with me. Not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, read it with me, you will be done. And last, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again, your will be done. Your will be done. It's as if Jesus is saying, Father, I know your will and let it be done in my life. And yes, I am human and experiencing the fullness of the human condition. So give me the spirit to be obedient, to practice self-control, to say, not my desire, Father, but your desire. Give me the strength to go to the cross. Your will be done. We sure we pray this in the Lord's prayer and it's a Christian phrase. We say, your will be done. Like, as long as it's, like, aligns with my will. But Jesus knew temptation was coming. Jesus knew temptation was a real thing. Literally, he could have called down the angels and not had to endure the cross. But he said, Father, keep me faithful and help me remain faithful. And I wonder for us, do we pray these offensive prayers? Because I think a lot of our prayers are like, Lord, I did this, I need forgiveness, which is a good and righteous prayer. But do we wake up and say, Lord, temptation's coming, help me not sin today. Help me not give in to the temptations that I know my flesh wants. Help me not to say yes to the things of this world. Help me not to click on the links or give in to the gossip or spend the money or whatever it may be, your advice, and say, Lord, the Spirit is willing, so use that Spirit in me, Father. Or do we just use that line as an excuse to sin, to give in to the temptation? If you've been around since I've been here the last couple months or so, God's really just been forming in me that as I, our, our primary identity is not sinners, it's saints, that you are a beloved child of God, that that's how he sees you. And because of that, we now live into what is already true about us, this fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says this in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to kin- continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's making a joke. Everyone go, ha, 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 ha. 
it's funny joke. Ha 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 ha. By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, y'all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we, or by the dead, the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Brothers, sisters, you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and you have newness of life. You can say no to the temptation when it comes knocking on your door. You have permission to say no. I am not going to give in to that today. Will you do it 100% of the time? No. But is that permission to just say, ah, come on in? No, it's not. Luther, Luther said lots of things that we're not sure if he actually said it, but this one sounds like he would have said it. Before I understood the truth of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, that is being I am redeemed and made new and free in Christ, whenever sin would knock on my door... I would answer it. Come on in, sin. Let's have fun together. But now that I understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whenever sin knocks on the door, I let Christ get the door. He called on the one who died and rose for him, who he was baptized into and say, not today, Satan. No, I will not give in to the temptation today. This is who we are. We're made new in Christ. We're called to live into living, not death. We've been made new. We've been set free from death. We are forgiven, redeemed, graced through faith for the good works that the Father has prepared for us in advance. Let me take a breath. Breathe out. I'm not saying you just need to pray harder and try harder. I think there's some tangible things that we can begin to cultivate this soil to practice self-control. The first one is clarify. I was listening to um, a podcast and they were kind of talking about this topic and the, and the pastor kind of left us with these uh, different four points. And his, his idea really struck me of like, when temptation comes in, like, am I really frustrated that I'm sinning or am I frustrated that temptation keeps coming? Like, we have to clarify, like, am I upset because I'm sinning or because I'm just tired of temptation? It's like, oh, the car broke again. Like, I just fixed it. Like, oh, I sinned again. It's like, well, temptation keeps coming. We have to accept that. The, the reality was we live in a broken world and it, temptation is going to be coming all the time. So prepare yourself for it. But also clarify that this is a process to remember that maybe... You have grown, you have sanctified, you have become more holy than you were a year ago. To think that maybe I actually sin less than I did 20 years ago, or I no longer am addicted to that, or, or I, have, I no longer am the gossip around the office, or in the church body, or whatever it may be, to thank God for that growth in you. You're not judging your, your worthiness or your belovedness off of it, but saying, God, look at this fruit you've produced in my life life. Second, confession. We confess our sins every week in corporate worship, but 
we've lost, in the, in the Reformation, we kind of lost this art of personal confession, of going to a real human and confessing the real sins we did, not to be beat down, but to hear from another saint, your sins are forgiven. And for them not to judge you, but to hear the words of Christ proclaimed to you, your sins are forgiven. Do you have that brother or sister in your life? If not, go find them and practice that in a week or in a, in a, in a rhythm of something that it becomes part of your, your life with Christ. Cultivate. Is David Fuentes here? He's not. Anyone know David? Yeah, he's a runner, like a real runner, like professional. David gets like, I was like, oh, what's like your typical run? He's like 10 miles. I'm like, <laughs> that's cute, right? Now, David like is one of those weird humans that will just get up at any time and go run 10 miles. But if I wanted to do that, I would be like, hey, can you motivate me? Can you come alongside with me and help me become a runner? Can you keep me accountable? Can you teach me how to do this? We need other believers in our life that we invite in our lives to help us grow in these things. We need people to help cultivate these virtues in us. Now, some of you, and this may be very real for you, like you have real addictions in your life. Where no matter how hard you pray, it still keeps coming. The last thing I want to encourage you is counseling. That God has gifted us people in the vocation of counselors. Where there's things that are above my pay grade. I can pray for you. I can, I can, I can walk with you spiritually. But where you need to get real professional help. I see a counselor once a month because I have my own demons that I have to wrestle through. Our senior pastor is trained as a therapist. Not saying he's going to be your counselor. But that there's value in that of, of, of seeing someone and and thankfully in our culture, it's not much of a, as much of a taboo anymore. But to seek professional counseling. Because there are real things, real pathways in our brain that need to be rewired. And for some of us, it might be things that we struggle with our whole life. But that doesn't mean we can't grow in it and ask God to give us the self-control in those things. Everyone take one more breath. <sighs> Heavy sermon, I know. But I think this is what I want us to, to walk away with this morning. The thing that motivates all of this. Jesus says, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. As we've worked our way through the fruit of the Spirit, we always point back to Jesus, who faithfully bore all of this fruit in himself for you and for me that we now get to live into who we are in him because we are baptized into his death and we are baptized into his life. That we are no longer held captive to sin because of what he has done for us. And the danger of any series of looking at the fruit of the spirit is it becomes a spiritual self-help. Just like, oh, I'm just so loving and kind. It becomes all about us. But we've talked about this. A fruit tree bears fruit for the sake of other people. Jesus bears fruit in you and in me for the sake of other people. It's not about you. It's about the people in your life who don't yet know Jesus. And they're going to see a fruit in you and go, that fruit looks good. How do I experience that? And, it, and this is over the course of a lifetime. 
Because in that quote I was talking about from Pastor uh, Pacquiam, the last part I didn't have up, but it says, fruitfulness is for the good of the world and the glory of God. It's not about you. The fruitfulness is not for your benefit. Will you benefit from it? Yeah, but for the sake of other people. And, And the people of Bethany, we live in a world that does not know the fruit of the Spirit, who's living by the way of the flesh that leads to death. And God has chosen you, yes, you, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world for the sake of other people and the glory of God. So may God bear good fruit in each of us, even self-control, not so he loves us more, but so that we may be more faithful for the sake of other people because he loves you, he adores you, he has died for you, he has risen for you, he says, now join me in my mission in this world. Amen.